Welcome to the AWS Rethink Podcast, here to help you rethink your strategy in the cloud. I'm your host, Nolan Chen. And I'm your host, Malini Chatterjee. Computer networks touch just about every computing device in use today. And to most end users, it seems to be like a black box. Today, our guest is Brandon Carroll, who is here to talk to us about a very important topic, the past, the present, and the future of computer networking. Yes, welcome, Brandon. Excited to have you here today. Uh, Before we begin, can you tell us what you do here at AWS and also what you did prior to joining AWS? Absolutely. And Nolan Malini, thank you for having me. It's nice to be here and to chat with you today. Um, so yeah, I've been around the, the networking space for quite a long time now thinking about, I don't think about it too often, but uh, I started back in the late 90s. And uh, when, I, when I think about that, it was, uh, I, I started out in telco and then I moved into Cisco networking and specifically routing, switching, uh, firewalls, network security, that type of stuff. And I did that for a long, long time. Uh, I was a instructor for a long, long time. So I had the opportunity to teach these networking concepts to, to folks, teach them about the history of, of networking and then what we were doing at the time and, and all through the years. And um, at some point I got into tech evangelism and uh, I, I like that because it still gives me the opportunity to to teach. Um, but now at AWS, um, I'm called a developer advocate. So I, I still get to do that evangelism of, of technology and to share that with people and show them how it can solve their problems. But I get to work with the community and hear what their challenges are and then help them to find creative ways to solve those problems. And I get to do that using AWS services uh, and to do it in a secure way because I focus on, on infrastructure security. So that's that's me in a nutshell. That's what I do today, and, and it's awesome. I love doing it. Wow. You have had a long, illustrious career in computer networking, be it teaching the history of networks, then become a tech evangelist, and then end up with being a developer advocate in AWS. Can you elaborate a little bit on how has computer networking changed over the years? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really changed a lot, hasn't it? Um, I go back to one of my first jobs before I even realized I was doing networking when I was working at a reservation company for a lodge up in the mountains where people would ski board or uh, snow and ski board. And and they had like four computers in this office and they were all connected together with this coax cable and it had the BNC connectors and you know, you had to terminate those connections. And, and if they weren't terminated, the network didn't work. And and so I would mess around every time we'd move things around. I'd have to reconnect it and make sure that they were communicating. And, and that's kind of, you know, networking back then um, with, with your, you know, your 10-base T networks and, and all that. And, you know, we saw physical modalities change. We saw Ethernet networks and fiber, and, and that's changed a, a, along the way. And the hardware that we're connecting has changed as well, right? It's gotten faster, um, bigger, <laughs> supporting you know the transfer of more data. 
And so a lot of the core components really hasn't changed. Like IP networking hasn't really changed. Um, it's still based on routing IP addresses and the protocol stack, the OSI model. That's a lot of that's the same. Um, but now it's gone from, you know, we've had all of that physical interaction with it because that's how we network to now we are able to the barrier to entry to get into networking is a lot lower because a lot of the stuff is cloud-based. We don't even see that hardware now, but we still get to make use of all that technology that sits underneath there. So it's over the years, it's changed drastically. Thanks, Brandon. I, I like how you point out how that's changed in terms of, I think you used the word physical modalities and how the hardware has changed. But what I've noticed is that the underlying software protocols have not changed is that correct like bgp and ipv4 so you got a mix of you know legacy protocols with new hardwares and modalities so so with that could you talk a little bit more how actually designing and then deploying these networks has changed yeah i mean i can share it from my perspective of being a, a mostly hands-on networking person where you know, you when you're designing your network and you're trying to think of it, I always think of it from the connectivity aspect and the security aspect. And when I when I look at that, just designing a network, let's just take like in an office. So I have if if it's not a wireless network, I, I go back to how we did it before, right? We have our computer sitting at the desk. We'd have a network drop, an Ethernet cable that would go to a switch uh, in a closet and then that would aggregate up to you know a switch somewhere else you know into in a in a, in a rack uh, we'd have a rack of distribution switches and then we'd route between the distribution switches so that we could get between different floors on a building or you know uh, different buildings within our campus and and then to get to other locations it was you know, we need BGP and we need uh, to be able to route between locations or autonomous systems. And and so for me, it was always, I always started pen and paper. I like to draw the routers, draw the connections, draw the switches, draw, you know, draw that out, figure out, is this fast ethernet zero slash zero connecting to, you know, fast ethernet, three slash zero on this switch. And so that was designing it. It was always kind of that architecture, right? So access distribution core and then routing between them and then autonomous systems when you got into that. And while some of that hasn't changed, I guess if you're the person that's implementing the physical networks, that's you're still doing a lot of that. Um, but I think the majority of people now are seeing the design of a network go from building that physical connectivity to building a, a cloud-based connectivity. And instead of you know drawing where your connections are, it's more how your services are interconnected because everything's kind of been decoupled and it's abstracted now. And so I think that's really changed how we look at the design of a network um, like for example, just in AWS in a VPC, I don't draw, I don't draw the EC2 instances. I don't draw 
my compute instances and I, I don't draw like, okay, this ENI, which is my network interface, I don't draw like a line that says this connects to this firewall and then the firewall connects to this IGW, my internet gateway. I don't, I don't draw those connections anymore. It's a lot more abstracted and, and um, mostly done in the software as I'm building it. So I think for me, that's the biggest change I've seen in designing and deploying is that before it was a lot of physical, hands-on, connect the cables, draw it out on your Visio diagram to today where it's, you know, all abstracted, it's in software. We get visual representations in the software how things connect, um, but it, it's definitely a lot faster to, to deploy a network and to design a network, I think. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Brandon. And you kind of, you know, uh, elaborated how it has evolved now. But the thing is, now you have said that it has become easier with the physical modalities uh, gone with the hardware aspect of it and mostly not drawing it on paint or paper. However, what is a little bit I would like to know as an end user is how has the security aspect of how do you secure these computer networks now with all of these abstractions happening? How has that evolved over the years? Yeah, I think it's become a much larger job over the years. Um, I think there's still a lot of... Uh, a lot of things that we still do that we sort of always done when it comes to securing a, a network. But again, my my view of it is very much slanted from the, the physical to now being focused in cloud. So like with the physical networking, the things that I would do to secure those networks were you would have host and network-based intrusion detection or intrusion prevention uh, devices. You know, obviously host-based would be in software, network-based we'd have an appliance. We would have a control of, of the connectivity. Like for example, you'd have uh, VLANs, you'd have private VLANs where you're isolating computers so they can only talk to, you know, computers that are either in the same VLAN or depending on how you set up those those private VLANs. You have network-based access control on your routers. You have usually a physical firewall at your perimeter. And so you have all these different points in the network where you're setting up you know, the, secure, the security and controlling the flow of the traffic, what traffic's allowed, what's permitted, what's denied. So you're controlling it that way. You're monitoring it with your IDS, IPS. You're securing it with a VPN concentrator, maybe, or host-based VPN, for that matter. And locking down all of those devices independently, right? Setting up your authentication, authorization, and accounting for the devices themselves to make sure that they're securely managed. And... Um, applying best practices to the to the infrastructure so that it's secure. And, and today, then you migrate to cloud and you still have things like that. You still have, for example, your, your intrusion detection would be like Amazon Guard Duty, 
So it's a service now and it's managed. And a lot of the stuff that you used to have to do under the, the hood just to get the device implemented on the network, you don't have to do. You simply just enable the service and it's there and it starts watching for you. You have things like your access control. You still have network-based ACLs uh, in your in your VPCs and you have security groups that, that you can apply that are like a stateful firewall. Um, you have the network firewall for that matter, AWS network firewall that you can deploy at your perimeter and you have that control over what's flowing in and out. So you're still controlling the flow of traffic, what's allowed there. You're still monitoring it with things like guard duty and, and other services. And uh, you still have VPN capability. Uh, the difference is that there's, there's a delineation between the security components that the provider is responsible for and the security components that a customer is responsible for. And so it takes the, the load off, but because there's so many different aspects of it, I said earlier that I think it's it's a bigger job now because of the amount of data we have to look at, the same person's not setting up your firewalls and implementing that and also the one that's monitoring all the traffic in your network, right? We have NOx now, we have things like that. So I think that that's how securing the networks has changed is it's gotten easier to implement and but i think it still takes a lot more people to manage it on a day-to-day -day basis right right and i think you just you know uh clarified a very important topic about as it has become easier to design and deploy the computer networks in the cloud however security is always the top priority and uh, securing computer networks although it has become easier with some of the uh, tools or the services provided however it also comes along with the shared responsibility model where you know uh, the cloud provider is responsible for certain constructs and the users the customers are also responsible for the ensuring the security of the networks. Uh, so with that, I would like to transition to the next uh, question. You have uh, elaborated like across your career, how you have started off from the traditional on-prem network and then evolved into, you know, becoming a developer advocate in cloud uh, uh and networking in the cloud. So what was the biggest hurdle that you have seen with working with your customers when transitioning from a traditional on-prem network to a hybrid network which can connect or which connects to the cloud? Yeah, that's a really good question because I think that there's two aspects to it. The first aspect to it is the knowledge aspect uh, so to take somebody who's been in traditional networking and network security for a long time, and then to learn the concepts that go with cloud, uh, it it can be a bit of a challenge. I think the biggest 
thing that I tell people that find themselves in the same shoes I was in not long ago is that a lot of your knowledge carries over. You just have to learn some new terminology, right? So the the things that you've learned are, aren't wasted and the knowledge that you have is not wasted. So, But that can be a big hurdle is trying to understand the abstraction. And especially when you're so used to being able to look at it and touch it and unplug something and see the effect and plug it back in and see the effect. And then to start working with cloud where it's like, okay, well, how do I simulate this interface being down or, you know, that, that takes a little bit of a, of getting used to. So that's a hurdle. I think the other hurdle is uh, understanding what's available to you and, and then implementing that in a secure way, right? So if you don't know, I guess if you were to, to start migrating and your organization has routers that are running BGP, then you need to know what's available to you when it comes to BGP in cloud. Can I, can I have my cloud resources connected and in, in, in with BGP running and you know, make that connectivity happen. So I think that's a big hurdle too, is is I guess that's still kind of related to knowledge, understanding what's available. The other thing that I see happen a lot is the direction that a migration goes being a hurdle. I've seen circumstances where people have had developers that start developing something in, in a cloud provider and the networking people don't really know about it. They don't have the visibility to it. And then once that, you know, application or whatever they've developed starts to take off, they're told to integrate it into the network. And then that's a challenge is figuring out how to how to make that work. And if the cloud resources were secured the right way and if they were the infrastructure was built the right way. So if you if you're behind, <laughs> if you're not involved in that right up front, that's a challenge. Um, so yeah, there, there's a couple of big hurdles, but I think those are some of the biggest ones I I've seen. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, I want to follow up on something you said, you said like the knowledge part can be a bit of a challenge. I would have thought that if you had a pretty long background in traditional networking that the abstract concepts that the cloud provides, it, it would be easier to pick up. But could you tell us a little bit more about what knowledge uh, companies probably need first or first before they can get more comfortable with migrating to a cloud network? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, Nolan, because I think it's going to vary depending on the role somebody plays. But I can tell you from from my perspective in network and infrastructure security, um, just knowing command line from a single vendor doesn't cut it, right? You got to spread, you got to spread your knowledge a little bit. Um, understanding the technology and understanding the the product configuration is two different things, right? So I said that I spent a lot of time with Cisco networks. I was like 100% Cisco networking. So I understood how IP networking worked. I understood how routing worked. I understood how 
I needed to establish physical connectivity. Then I needed to apply configurations to my switches, to my routers that would enable the, the connectivity and enable the communication. And so then transitioning to cloud, I still understand the technology, how IP routing works, but now I have to, I have to gain this knowledge of how do I do that in the cloud um, and how do I make those connections in the cloud? So that's, that's hard, you, you know, especially when you've worked with a single vendor for a really, really long time. So that's one aspect of the knowledge that I think you, you want to, you want to be aware of to be comfortable is just use different vendor products, experiment, open source products, right? So don't, don't just pin yourself down to, to, being solely focused um, in that way because it makes it difficult when things change, right? So if you're already ahead of that and you're already used to change, then it makes it a little easier. The other thing uh, is f at least, you know, folks that came up with me, uh, we didn't necessarily do things like Python. We didn't, we, we weren't programmers. We were command line people, um, you know, or, or, or even GUI, right? Using a GUI. And now you get a lot more functionality out of, out of being able to do some things in Python um, or, or even infrastructure as code now, be able to, able to understand an, an infrastructure as code language. Uh, like, for example, you've got things like CloudFormation with AWS. You've got Terraform, which, you know, opens things up to other vendors and in, in, in different ways. So just being aware that you're you're probably going to have a degree of you're still that networking person, but you also need some coding skills. Not heavy, but you need that. That's going to make you uh, more comfortable and it's going to be more valuable to an organization, I think, if you're migrating to something that's hybrid. Well, that's interesting. You you brought up like example of your Cisco experience in the '90s. I, I personally never worked for Cisco, but I was always under the impression that if you worked for Cisco in the '90s and configured their routers and switches, you would definitely have an edge and be considered an expert in networking. But if I understand correctly, right, the way you interacted with Cisco back in the day where I was primarily through CLI. But after listening to you now, it sounds like um, maybe some coding skills now is just as important as CLI skills were a couple of decades ago. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, that uh, coding skills, understanding JSON, right? You use JSON a lot to, to um, pass information, to pull out information, to parse, right? So... Yeah, I think those skills are, are extremely valuable today. Okay. So we've talked about today. Now I want to talk a little bit about the future, and but start by talking about IPv4 and how it's been around for, I believe, over 40 years now. But I, if I remember correctly, I still remember even in the 90s, people already started to talk about moving to IPv6. But today, in 2023, IPv4 still seems to be the workhorse of the internet. How do you explain IPv4's longevity, and how urgent really is it for companies to start thinking about and moving to IPv6? <laughs> That's tough, right? Because, um, well, let me address the IPv4 first, um, being the workhorse and its longevity. 
it's when you think of the scale of the of the internet connected devices that are using ipv4 and just how many of those things have been in production for a really long time it, you you start to see why it's hard to switch to something new because we you know we have ipv4 running on so many different operating systems that need to be modified which they have been along the way but it's never been like okay tomorrow everything's ready for us to switch so if i get ipv6 support on a third of my devices in you know 2006 and then you know, two thirds of my devices don't support it, then I can't migrate to it, right? So I think it's longevity has been just that it's so hard to get everything to have that support considering how many older things are still out there. Um, and being the, the workhorse, there's so many protocols that are built around it that would have to be adjusted that are, are in use today that have been in use for many, many years. Um, so I think that lends itself to the longevity of IPv4 and the fact that we've figured out ways to to extend the life of IPv4 and to be more con conscious of how we allocate and how we use addressing, that, that's probably helped add to the longevity of it. Thinking, you know, as far as the urgency for IPv6, I mean, every company should already be thinking about it. I mean, starting to think about it now, you're you're late. Um, but it is interesting. I taught IPv6 training, you know, in the early 2000s, and you know, we were part of the curriculum was where we have to change. We're running out of IP addresses. There's going to be people that can't get online. You're going to need to fix this. And I don't know if that's still being said today. I don't teach IPv6 anymore. I actually haven't done a lot of work and, and stayed up on IPv6 uh, more recently. But, uh, you know, there there is definitely a cap on IPv4. When that'll, when that'll expire, I don't know. But uh, you should be thinking about IPv6. Um, because it, it does open up other possibilities and, you know, with all the mobile devices that we have and there's still places in the world that don't have the connectivity that we're used to maybe here um, that will probably need to make use of IPv6 as, as, the, as time goes on. I, I think that, yeah, you should already be thinking about IPv6. Yeah, that makes sense. Maybe our old Linux and Windows servers sitting in our data centers and closets, maybe it's not urgent, but you mentioned mobile devices and I just, yeah, I just can't possibly see how you can stick to IPv4 with all the, probably the millions of mobile devices that will just keep coming online. But one more question I have with, related to the future is that um, I believe earlier you said that the barrier to entry and to get into networking is lower now. Uh, I was surprised because I was thinking in this era of cloud computing and ubiquitous Wi-Fi, do you really think a young person today getting into networking can learn it without, you know, having ever been in a data center and actually racked and stacked and plugged in Ethernet cables? 
what advice would you give to a young person who's looking to get into networking today, but, you know, probably won't be like you, you know, work for a big networking company and configure routers and switches hands on? Yeah, my advice would be uh, to make use of the the tools that are available to lab things up, to, to do hands-on that are way more available today than they were when, when I was learning. You know, when I was learning and, and trying to, to get certified, I had to have access to physical hardware to practice. And that either meant I rented that physical hardware from someone or I'd go out and I'd find stuff on eBay or something and, and buy it and build my own little rack. And the challenge there was for me to fund that and for it to be current was difficult. So it was hard to learn back then. But you're right, you did have physical access and 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 you could you could see the data center, you could rack stuff, you, you rack and stack it, you could plug it in, you could do all of that. There's a degree of that that still happens. And so for people that are that want to be in that part of the field where they're building data centers, then you'll have to have some training that's going to give you hands-on or, or on-the-job training or an internship or something along those lines. But I think for the rest, the actual configuration of equipment, uh, I don't think you need to have the physical access to it anymore. And I think that you can learn networking by doing workshops. Um, you know, workshops.aws, if you wanted to learn about networking on AWS has some workshops that you can work through. And there are, um, there's the AWS skill builder. Um, I, I know I'm throwing out some AWS stuff, but then there's like, when it comes to the realm of security and learning those aspects of it, you've got places like Try Hack Me. Uh, I, like, I like that one, right? You can go through and then they take you through and they give you access to like a jump box or a, a virtual device that you can, you can practice on. So my advice is you can watch a ton of videos. There's so much out there on YouTube, but nothing beats doing it yourself. So get your hands on. And, you know, there's tons of ways to do that out there. But it's, that's the, the barrier to entry to get into to it, I think, comes down to that access to labbing things up. And I think it's a lot easier to get access to that today than it was in the past. Okay, yeah, it sounds like it's easier today because a lot of these labs you mentioned, you can actually just access it from your laptop, right? All you need is a network connection. You don't actually have to go inside a, a building with equipment. Is that is that right? Yep, yep, exactly. Do it on a Chromebook with a web browser, right? <laughs> okay. Well, that brings us to the end of our episode today. I'd like to thank you, Brandon. I think you've definitely helped our listeners rethink their networking strategy in the cloud. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. Definitely, I have learned a lot, and I'm sure our listeners have also learned a lot. And go ahead and start labbing something if you are interested to learn more and get your hands dirty learning about the network constructs in the cloud. We also would like to definitely thank all our listeners for joining us today for our episode. 
please send us your feedback by emailing us at rethinkpodcast at amazon.com. Thank you. Until next time.